Christmas, greetings, especially to you, my friend. Welcome weer eens by die watergat. Ek is Peter Warren en ek nooi jou weer uit om een gouden uur saam te keier langs die levende waters van Godse woord. Welcome to the water in hell. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Amen. Before we get into today's topic, let's just open the right way in a word of prayer. Father, we commit this time to you now. We commit this watering hole session to you. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you are the good shepherd, the great shepherd. You are the one who restores our soul. Even as we are poured out and tired and wearied by living in this world and going through what we go through. We rejoice this morning because of the truth of your word. Holy Spirit, will you please come? and invigorate us, refresh us again with the truth of the word. In Jesus' name we ask this to the glory of the Father. Amen. Now, beloved, I I have a bit of a treat, I think for me anyway, this morning. I want to talk about my shepherd, your shepherd. In the movie, The Robe, the slave Demetrius saw Jesus at the Palm Sunday parade and later fellow slaves asked him about Jesus. Well, is he king or is he not a king? They asked. Demetrius answered, I don't know, but he is definitely something more than a king. Oh, that he is, eh? He's more than a king. I want us to look at him today through those eyes and ask that same question. Holy Spirit, will you please reveal something to us today of Jesus that we need to see? Everyone who truly encountered Jesus knew he was more than a king. To those who know and love him, he is everything. There are more than 250 descriptive titles given to Jesus in the Scriptures. But how do we describe His great beauty and His infinite greatness? Some of His titles, Lord of Lords, Savior, Shepherd, Healer, Son of God, Son of Man, the Second Man, the Last Adam, Bread of Life, Bright morning star, lily of the valley, rose of Sharon, light of the world, lion of the tribe of Judah, lamb of God, alpha and omega, baptizer, prince of peace, friend, and hundreds more. You know, Jesus hit history with such force that he split it in two. History is just that, his 
story. He is undoubtedly the greatest character who ever lived. He stands unequaled and unsurpassed amongst men. He is unique in a class of his very own. This Jesus is both fully man and fully God. This is a mystery to us. We're going to try and look at it today. He is both son of man and son of God, fully human and fully divine. Let's begin by looking at his humanity. Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. He is invisible God made visible. John 1.14, the word, that is Jesus, became a human being and lived here with us. The one translation says, he came and moved into your street. Jesus living in your street. Wow. In your house. In your heart. We saw his true glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father. From him, all the kindness and all the truth of God have come down to us. Some points about the man Jesus. He was flesh, just like us. He bathed, just like we have to. His eyes watered in the glare of the sharp Judean sunlight. He walked on dusty roads, had to wash his feet. He did not float miraculously above the roads. Hebrew 4 verse 15 Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. How was Jesus tempted in everything that a woman is tempted in, in everything that a child is tempted in? We can't even go there. But he was tempted in far more things than what I've ever been tempted in. And yet he did not sin. He knows and understands it all because he has experienced it all. He knows the normal growing up processes of a boy into a teenager, into a man. He knows family life with all its trials, tensions, tears and tenderness. He knows the excruciating pain of Calvary. He took every disease and also every occurrence of that disease on himself at the same time. He didn't only take breast cancer, he took cancer of the left breast of every woman and man who has ever had and ever will have cancer of the left breast. And what about all the other sicknesses and problems that we have? He knows the pain of emotional distress. We saw that in Gethsemane when he sweat drops of blood. He knows rejection when all his disciples left him and fled. He knows the death of a loved one, Lazarus. He knows the pain of loneliness, of hunger, of exhaustion, 
of temptation in the wilderness. But you know, he also knows the joy of friendship and of companionship, like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He knows and understands exactly how you feel today. He must have been a strong, well-muscled, young, tough craftsman. As a carpenter, he would have climbed local mountains to chop trees to get his wood. And then he'd have to drag them back to his workshop. Maybe he had a donkey cart, but I don't think he owned anything ever in his life. He was one of the toughest men who ever lived. He was rugged, manly, very determined, able to take all the muck that people threw at him and keep on going. And he still kept on loving them. Isn't that amazing? He's not the blue-eyed pretty boy Ken doll that some painters portray. He was a solid man's man. He had great health. He was often up before dawn, journeying many miles with only the simplest of provisions. There were no side-of-the-road one-stops like we have today. His last journey from Jericho to Jerusalem is a climb of more than a thousand meters, on foot, accomplished in six hours. You work that out. That is tough going. One woman just touched his cloak and she was healed. Health, strength and vitality, very life force, flowed freely from him. He loved the outdoors. He often preached with examples from nature and rural life. He spoke of lilies of the field and birds of the air. He often climbed mountains and would have undoubtedly slept many a night out in the open under the stars that he had created, and he knew them by name. Wow. There was a personal magnetism about him. A great variety of personalities were proud to be called his friend. Luke, a scientist and physician. Peter, a rough fisherman and dock worker. John, meditative and mystical. Busy Martha, contemplative Mary, social outcast Zacchaeus, and tax collector Matthew, and of course Mary Magdalene, a former prostitute with her sordid history. And there were many others. And here, you and I today, you with your history and me with mine. And what a leader he was. All he said was, Follow me. And people followed. Fishermen left their half-mended nets. Matthew left his comfy public service job. They never questioned his leadership. He was a man who knew where he was going. And the world steps aside for such a man. Will you get up early every morning and get daily instructions and directions and strategies? from Father God, then you too will be a man who knows where he's going 
and the world will indeed step aside. He had terrific clarity of mind and expression. His keen mind was always way ahead of the crafty Pharisees trying to catch him out. What a man. Welcome back to the Watering Hole. You are tuned to At Radio. My name is Peter Warren and today we are looking at Jesus, our human and supernatural Saviour. Jesus is all things to all men. He is my all-sufficient Saviour and yours. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. That's Jesus. I love how, as believers, my life and yours is hidden in Him, beloved. Colossians 3.3 Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. Why does it say in God, in Christ? Why doesn't it say in Christ, in God? We're going to look at that later. Not only did you die with Christ, but you also rose with Him. When you were raised with Him, you were raised and transported into a brand new world. Previously you lived in a world where you served sin, even unknowingly. But now you live in a world where everything is about Christ and serving Him. Now you are freed from every form of slavery. This certainly does not mean that you are free to do anything you wish. But you are now free to live as He wishes. You are given this Christian freedom to serve Christ according to His will. Serving Christ starts with you seeking those things which are above. Why? Because Christ is there. Keep seeking the things that are above does not mean that you should always be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly use. It doesn't mean superstitious spiritual. It doesn't mean all weird. and. It means to be centered on Christ and to represent Him accurately on earth. You can compare this with an ambassador in a foreign country. He promotes the interests and values of his own country. You and I are called to accurately represent our king and his kingdom values. Now this is not so easy, I know, but we can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's the truth, beloved. Now welcome back to the Watering Hole. I'm Peter Warren and we are talking about Jesus. Human and also supernatural. We've touched briefly on the human aspect. Let's look now at our supernatural saviour. 
He is also the Son of God. Besides the Son of Man, He is also the Son of God. He does godly things. He loves unconditionally. He forgives sin. He accepts worship. He heals brokenhearted. He drives out demons. He does creative miracles, like the man whose eyeball was born without eyeballs. And Jesus spat into the mud and made eyeballs and put them into his head. And he could see. Oh, my word. Imagine seeing that happen. And he raises the dead. Oh, by the way, he also walks on water. Have you tried that? (laughs) Jesus looks at us with godly eyes. He looked at Simon the fisherman and saw Peter the apostle. When he looked at Matthew, he saw an apostle, not a crooked tax collector. He looked at Paul in the spiritual realm and saw not Saul, the Christian persecutor, but Paul, the apostle, author of two-thirds of the New Testament. When he looked at the outcast Samaritan woman, he saw an evangelist. He saw Philip conducting a huge revival in Samaria not too long afterwards. He looked at Zacchaeus and saw not a thieving businessman, but a friend. And when he looks at you, beloved, what does he see? Do you see yourself like he sees you? Do you see your spouse and your children like he does? Will you ask him to help you do that? Do you see other people the way he sees them? People of different races and different language groups. I want him to look through my eyes, but I do not want him to see what I see. I want to see what he sees. The same with my ears. And all I have, I want him to use. I want him to give using my wallet. To walk using my feet. To touch and heal using my hands. I want him to love unconditionally and amazingly using my heart. What do I really know about that? I want him to cry with my tears. He does that anyway, I think. He operates in supernatural knowledge. He often knew the thoughts of people around him. He saw Lazarus not as dead, but only sleeping. He stood outside that tomb deliberately late, so everyone would know he performed a miracle, a God act. What does he see when he looks at your business? Is it dead or is it only sleeping? Your marriage? Your relationship with your child? He called out, Lazarus, come forth. Fortunately, he called Lazarus by name, or else every dead person in that tomb would have come out. I'm playing with you, but that's the truth. So powerful are his commands. You can read that in John eleven forty three. 
But you know, beloved, He has also called you and me by name. A personal Savior. He is the life giver, the life and the resurrection. And one day in the future, you will hear him call your name. John eleven twenty five. Jesus then said, I am the one who raises the dead to life. Everyone who has faith in me will live even if they die. Now there's a mystery that you can think about. During World War II, a Jewish soldier heard Christian soldiers speaking about Jesus, their Messiah. When he eventually got home, he asked his rabbi the following question. Rabbi, when our Messiah comes, in what ways will he be better than this Christian Jesus? And the rabbi couldn't answer him. And he just turned and walked away. You see, Jesus isn't just a Christian Messiah. He's everybody's Messiah. He lived the perfect life. And he perfectly fulfilled the mandate that the Messiah was given in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 61, we read that this is what the Messiah would do. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring good news, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now Jesus did every one of those. Even his critics had to admit he lived a sinless life. At Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked his disciples the following question. Matthew 16, verse 15. But you, you personally, who do you say that I am? The Lord's question is put directly, personally, to each disciple. Who do they say he is? The question is of the utmost importance to every disciple. Simon Peter answers the question first. Peter got it absolutely right when he answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is the Messiah. Christ is to say Messiah as the one who is the fulfillment of the promises of God and of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. He is the Messiah promised by God. Moreover, he is the Son of God according to Psalm 2. Do yourself a favor and sit quietly and read that. This is the confession of the Jewish remnant. We find it in John 1, 49. Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God and the King of Israel. In addition, Peter confesses him as the Son of the living God. 
With that, he says that there is life in him. Also connected with this is that he possesses life-giving power. To be the son of the living God means that he himself has this life. What is built on it cannot be affected by death or anything connected with death. The life of God cannot be destroyed. Everything is based on his person. No one can understand the truth of the church unless he has first accepted the truth about his person, this person, Jesus Christ. So, beloved, who do you say he is? Is he fully Lord and fully King? Is he fully Savior? Are there areas in your life where you are still on the throne? or still half on the throne, competing with him. One foot in the world kind of areas. You cannot call him Lord Jesus Christ if he is not Lord and not fully Christ. This is our modern day challenge, compromise. Maybe many who are no longer following Jesus were never really saved to start with. Let's listen to some music and then we talk some more. Welcome back to the water gat. It's really warm here by the water gat today. I'm happy. I'm Peter Warren and you're ingeskakel op at radio. We are talking about Jesus, our human supernatural Bonatuurlijke zaligmaker. What a man. Jesus had courage, lots of it. He did things no other man ever attempted. He faced death over and over. And when death finally came, he faced it without flinching or hesitating. One time they tried to throw him over a cliff. The Bible says he just looked at them and walked right through the midst of them. I wonder what kind of a look that was. That no one even tried to stop him. His eyes must have blazed with the fire and the power of God. The Bible tells us one day all the things we have done will be tested by his fire. He will look on them with that same look. Oh my word. He had an inflexibility of purpose. He never allowed anything to deter him from his mission. Even at age 12, he was found teaching in the temple. He said to his mother, Don't you understand? I must be about my father's business. At the end of his life, he was still the same. When he realized time had come for him to die, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem to face his end. His mind was made up. One Bible says he set his face like flint. Flint is that stuff that you can hit it and sparks fly. We may complicate our theology, but Jesus is very clear and very straightforward. When we turn to him in faith and in honesty, he discloses himself to us in such a way 
that we are left in no doubt about who he is. Sammy Tippett, in his book, Worthy of Worship, writes as follows. Jesus is unique in human history. He is not merely one of the gods, with a small g. He is God, with a capital G. The only true God. He is not just a good man. He is the only man that is perfect in his goodness. He is not only a great leader, he is the only leader worthy of absolute devotion and allegiance. He is not only royalty, but he is the king of all the earthly kings and lord of all the earthly lords. Jesus is holy. That means different. He is holy, righteous, and eternal. John called him the Son of God. Luke called him the Son of Man. He is the God-Man. In a class all of his own. He is a human being just like you and me. He knows and understands us, as I said, and he is well acquainted with everything that we experience and go through. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we are not alone. We are not left as orphans to our own devices. Thank you, Jesus. You never leave us. You're always right here. But not only is God man, he's also the man God. He's not a dead leader with crumbled bones somewhere. His tomb is empty. He is alive. And he is not phased by the craziness of the modern world. He is not caught off guard, wondering what to do next. Beloved, heaven is not in trouble. I am so grateful that somebody preached the gospel of the kingdom of God to me. Jesus, Savior, but also King. He came from the realm of the invisible into the realm of the visible to overturn the kingdom of the enemy and to establish the kingdom of God. And he, in his fullness, is dwelling in me and in you as a believer. There's a huge truth that we need to get a hold of. I must be honest, I, I haven't got the whole thing yet. But I just want to put this out there and maybe it's something you can find the answers to and you can contact me and teach me this stuff. It lies in John 14 and John 17. 14.10, Jesus speaking, praying, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus in the Father and the Father in Jesus. The word said, I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus operating, the Father in him doing the works of the Father. Believe me that I am in the Father 
and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works, the miracles themselves. Jesus speaking on earth, saying these things. The Father is in him, on earth, he in the Father. The Father working the works that Jesus worked. And they are in you and in me. Come to John 17, verse 20. Jesus is praying. I do not ask for these only, those who were saved at that time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's you and me, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow, baffles the mind, eh? I struggle to express this clearly, but let me try and say it this way. Jesus is seated in heaven with the Father in him and he in the Father. Our lives are hidden in him, in God, in heavenly places. We are in heaven, in the Father and the Son. Jesus and the Father are dwelling in our hearts here on earth. We are on earth. So are they within us. So you and I, beloved, are dual beings. We are in two places at once. We are touching heaven and touching earth. We have the heavenly potential to change earth. Now when we walk in the room, everything changes. Why? Not because I walked in the room, but because Father, Son and Holy Spirit in me walked in the room. Heaven just came into that sick room. Wow. If I will just be obedient and sensitive to his prompting, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the room, seeing with my eyes, hearing with my ears, walking with my feet, speaking with my mouth, touching with my hands. Oh, wow. My mind is baffled by the possibilities. Where is the glory? That's where it is. As we prepare to pray now, I want to encourage you. Never mind where you are and where you're at. And never mind how empty you feel and how you've messed up. And Never mind. Never mind. That's not important stuff now. If you really call out to God and surrender your life to Him, surrender control, give it up. He will reach out and meet you where you're at as you are. And he will help you if you will let him. Lord, help me to lay hold of this truth and to make it mine for your name's sake. Now, beloved, I always ask you this because it's always a challenge. Do you have faith 
to believe that your life can change in this one prayer time? I do. It's the only way my life's going to change. If so, make a life-changing decision right here, right now. I'm going to ask you some questions in the prayer time. And make decisions as we go through that. Most of all, invite the Lord into your circumstances and ask Him to help you to lay hold of these truths of a natural, supernatural Savior. And most of all, more than anything, thank Him for what He has done, what He is doing, and particularly what He is going to do in answer to your prayer time today. I remind you, as I always must, you are not designed to be defeated. You were designed to live a victorious, overcoming life. You are designed to take your wounds, your scars, and turn them with the help of God into battle scars and then to wear them proudly as medals on your chest of what God has done for you and that he will do for others. Turn your wounds into battle scars. Arise, soldier of God. Put on your medals and give glory to God. Kom ons luister nog muziek en dan gaan ons bid. Holy Spirit, I ask you now, will you please come and help us to pray. You know the will of the Father, you know the heart of the Father. You know each one of us, our shortcomings, our strengths, our weaknesses, our trials, our obstacles. You know these things. So, beloved, here are my questions. Make some decisions, if you want to. Are you accurately representing your king and his kingdom in your actions and in your words? If someone followed your example, would they end up closer to Jesus or further away from him? Is he ministering through your eyes, your hands, your mouth, your feet, your wallet? Are you growing in the attributes that he showed? A courage and strength and perseverance and uh, all those things. Do you seek that which is above or that which is earthly? Or are you sort of stuck somewhere in the middle? When you walk into a room, does heaven touch earth? Join me today as you and I Ask him to help us in all these matters. Come, let us pray.
Our Father, you know these questions. You know our decisions. You know our hearts. We know your truth. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We know that you want us to grow to maturity in the likeness and attributes of Jesus. We ask you today, by your Holy Spirit, will you please come and help us to become the people, the disciples, the sons and daughters of the Most High God that you want us to be. Help us to walk naturally, supernaturally. And help us to walk supernaturally, naturally. We thank you for this now. In the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. Amen. And beloved, if you don't know Jesus, ask him today to reveal himself to you in a way that you'll know it's him. Ask him to forgive you all of your wrongdoing and to come into your life as your king and as your savior. He will do that. And we'll talk more about this in future messages. For now, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And thank you, Father God. Amen. Dan sy geliefdes, fluit, fluit, my story is uit. Dankie vir een lekker warm keier, hier by die watergat vandag. Baie voels, paar njalas. Ek sien een swart rooibok. Nie een rooi swartbok nie. Een swart rooibok, beautiful. Wees anders, be holy. Until we meet again at the water in hall. Be richly blessed. As Peter Wong wat groot, to die volgende keer, start it all. Remember, you write in the last chapter of your life.